Good afternoon. It is good to be able to be here and study God's Word together. We appreciate very much all of you who are tuning in you know, on our website. In Jeremiah's first lament in the book of Lamentation over Jerusalem's spiritual and you know, physical state, sin is what ruined the nation. Throughout the history of mankind, such is true about all nations of men. Wickedness and corruption infects. It infects societies. It infects governments. And as a result, suffering and death are always in the wake of sin, leaving devastation in its path. Today, we're going to continue our study of the book of Lamentation. And we're going to focus on chapter 2 today. And so we will... you know, Get your Bibles out and open them up to Lamentations chapter 2. And in a moment, we're going to read that chapter. Before we do that, let me give you a little bit more information about the book. Five Hebrew poems compose this book that is called Lamentations. And what's unique about these five poems is this, that chapters 1 through 4 are acrostic in their format where each verse begins with a sequential letter from the Hebrew alphabet. So, chapters 1, 2, and 4 each use the Hebrew alphabet's 22 letters, and so therefore it consists of 22 verses. But in chapter 3, each Hebrew letter has three successive Verses allotted to it, and that adds up to 66 verses. So that's just a little bit of information about the nature of Hebrew literature. But in English, obviously, in the translation, we don't see that. But let us focus now in chapter 2. As God's judgment upon Jerusalem, as God's judgment upon his disobedient children is being described here, There's one thing that stands out to me in this particular lament, and that is God's fateful anger. Jehovah's anger is righteous, and it is always righteous. And so at this time, let us now turn our focus to the reading of our chapter, Lamentations chapter 2. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. He has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel and has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up. He has not spared all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has thrown down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought them down to the ground He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. In fierce anger, he has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire consuming round about. He has bent his bow like an enemy, and he has set his right hand like an adversary and slain all that were pleasant to the eye. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his wrath like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy 
He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all his palaces, and he has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and moaning. And he has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and Sabbath in Zion, and he's despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has delivered to the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of an appointed feast. The Lord determined to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not restrained his hand from destroying, and he has caused rampart and wall to lament. They have languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. Also, her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city, they say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. How shall I admonish you? To what shall I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what shall I liken you as I comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin... Your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. All who pass along the way clap their hands in derision at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem, Is this the city of which they said, the perfection of beauty and a joy to all the earth? All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we waited. We have reached out and we have seen it. The Lord has done what he has purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing, and he has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Let your eyes have no rest. Arise, cry aloud in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and look. 
With whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who are born healthy? Should priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground in the streets lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered, not sparing. You called as in the day of an appointed feast. My terrors are on every side, and there was no one who escaped or survived. In the day of the Lord's anger, those whom I bore and reared, my enemy annihilated them. Let's go back a little bit and make some points as we discuss some things from this particular lament that Jeremiah offers. I want to begin by noticing the first couple of verses there in chapter 2 and suggest to you that earthly strongholds of any kind cannot withstand the outpouring of God's wrath. For example, the image here in verse 1, how the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. That image of God covering Jerusalem with his cloud of anger is, is such a contrast to the visualization from the early national history when God's presence and God's care was visible by the fact that he actually used a cloud to lead them. To lead them day by day through the wilderness to that promised land. And how different it is now. The now God covers them with the cloud of his anger. And he swallowed them up and he has not spared them. Throughout the nation's history, Israel fortified herself. For example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, we can read about how King Solomon, in verse 5, built fortified cities with walls and gates and bars. And then his son Rehoboam, after the kingdom divided, Rehoboam built cities for defenses in Judah and strengthened the fortresses with officers and stores of food and actually put shields and spears in every city, we're told in Second Chronicles chapter 11. And then you continue reading on in Second Chronicles, you get to chapter 14, verse 6, where then King Asa continues to fortify cities in Judah. And then you come all the way to the 26th chapter of 2 Chronicles, and we read about how King Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, and he built towers in the wilderness, and he armed an elite army with shields and spears and bows and body armor, and even made engines of war that he placed on top of those towers. So throughout their history, we can read about how Israel fortified themselves in case of an enemy, in case of invasion. I suggest to you that man puts way too much stock in unreliable fortifications. All the best built physical structures... All the high-tech military weaponry and all the security and safety measures we may take are no guarantee. They are no guarantee when God is determined that it is time for men to reap the consequences of their sinful actions. 
men depend too much on their own wisdom. They've been too much on their own speculations. Man even builds towers and fortresses of of corrupted knowledge. To what purpose? Well, all of that are fortifications made out of sand. Fortifications that cannot stand up to a God-sent storm. And such was the case for Israel and Judah. When God had determined it was time for him to judge the sins of the people, there is nothing that they could do to fortify themselves against God. When God is no longer with you, all of our defenses cannot stop an onslaught of defeat and destruction. In verse 3 of Lamentation 2, he says, In fierce anger he's cut off all the strength of Israel. He's drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire, consuming round about. At this time in Israel's history, their towers and their fortresses and their weaponry could not stop what God had determined. We're told, for example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who is against us? And, and those are very encouraging words, very comforting words. We think about God being our refuge and God being our fortress and God being our strength. But if God is not with us, Anyone can defeat us from without and from within. God can use any means to bring down men when it's time for judgment to occur. So all that Israel and Judah had done to prepare and to strengthen and to defend and protect themselves were nothing against God's plans. It was nothing against God's judgments. And so those fortifications would not save them from what God had determined. I'm reminded of the words of the Jewish teacher Gamaliel over in Acts chapter 5 verse 39. When there they're talking about what to do with the apostles who they had arrested because they are preaching Jesus. But Gamaliel understood that it is useless to fight against God. You cannot win when you're opposing God. And that was the case for God's people in the days of Jeremiah. And God's anger is severe. In Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes about the righteousness or the justice of God in dealing with sin, the sin of humanity. In verse 6, it says, God will render to each person according to his deeds. But then notice what it says in verse 8. Romans chapter 2, verse 8. To those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, Wrath and indignation. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So earthly fortifications cannot withstand, cannot protect us when God's determined that it is time for man to reap what they have sown. When God has determined that it is time for man to reap the consequences of their sinful deeds, we cannot withstand the anger of God. Another thing that comes out in this particular chapter is the idea that God will reject that which has been sanctified when the sanctified reject him. Take note of what it says there in verse 6 and verse 7. We're talking about how God has violently treated his tabernacle. He destroyed his meeting place. He's rejected his altar. He's abandoned his sanctuary. The sanctuary, the altar, the feast, and the Sabbath were all holy things. And they were a holy thing that had been dedicated in such a way so that God's people could show him reverence and honor and praise. Those holy days were holy days that God commanded them to keep. The sacrifices were to be offered regularly according to the law of Moses. The temple itself was was built according to God's architectural plans. But these things and these activities, God destroyed. Even though they were intricately connected to Israelites' covenant relationship with God, not only was it deeply embedded in their worship, but also these were things that set them apart, to set them apart from other nations. But the point is, without amending behavior, the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the days, none of that would save Israel. Recall what Jeremiah even earlier had prophesied in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7. If you look there, beginning in verse 2, as Jeremiah speaks to the people, he says, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all of you of Judah, who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not, do not trust in deceptive words saying, this is the temple of God. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. You think about the lament here when Jeremiah laments over the fact that God has basically destroyed all of these holy things. But those holy things were useless without holiness. And unless the people amended their ways, the temple was worthless to God. Unholiness contaminates. Unholiness pollutes what is sacred. I am mindful of what we're told back in the days of King Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, where we are told that God does not simply delight in the multiplying of sacrifices. God doesn't want just sacrifices. God wants obedience. 
God wants faithfulness. God wants holiness. Or what Paul preached in Acts chapter 17 in the city of Athens. When he speaks to an audience of unbelievers and speaks to them about the true and living God and tells them that the true and living God, he does not dwell in physical temples. He doesn't dwell in some physical structure. And although he is worthy of man's worship, he does not need man's worship to sustain himself. Acts 17, verse 24 and 25. So therefore, when when what God has established, when what God has commanded is profaned by disobedience and by rebellion, what will God do? God will take it away. God will take away the holy thing, the holy thing, so that it will no longer be polluted by man's unholiness. As we studied this past Wednesday night in Haggai chapter 2, the unclean makes the holy unclean. It is for that reason that we are admonished in 2 Corinthians. As you turn over there and you look in chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and read verse 17. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Here is the apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, revealing to the saints in Corinth God's will, God's mind about holiness. And he says, if I'm going to have a relationship with you, if I'm going to welcome you into my family, he says, you must be separate from all that is unclean, from all that is unholy. And so therefore the admonition or the exhortation Be separate and do not touch what is unclean. What happens if we do? What what happens when we cease to be holy and we cease to to be clean by the blood of the Lamb of God? Well, then God separates himself from the unholy. If you think about it, In Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, you read about churches of the Lord. And those churches of Christ who failed to repent of sinful deeds, if they failed to repent of sinful deeds, what were they told? They were told that they would be severed from Christ that they would face the sword of the warring Jesus and that they would be cast upon a bed of tribulation and pestilence. When that which is holy or that which is established to be holy ceases to to be holy, what does God do? God rejects it. That was That was true in the days of Jeremiah. As God severed himself from the disobedient people that he judged. And that is still true today. That God is light and he has no fellowship 
with darkness. And he will reject what he's established to be holy if the sanctified reject him and cease to be holy. But another point that we can draw out of Lamentations chapter 2 is this, that false teachers played a major role in misleading Israel deeper into chapter 2 verse 14. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity, but they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. The lies and deception of men telling people what they what they wanted to hear contributed to the accelerated depravity of God's people. Now, God had warned them. God had warned them. He'd warned the prophets. He'd warned the people about teaching things that God did not say, that God had not revealed. For example, go back again to Jeremiah 14 very quickly. In Jeremiah chapter 14, take note of what Jeremiah has to say in verse 13. But all oh, the Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will, not see the, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. And so that's what the prophets are saying. Oh, you don't have to worry about anything. There's going to be peace. But then God says, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I've neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, all that was not I who sent them, yet they keep saying, there will be no sword or famine in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. The people also whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and there will be no one to bury them. Neither them, nor their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. God had warned them by Jeremiah and many others as well. But sadly, the people wanted to believe those lies, and it cost them their souls. In Jeremiah chapter 5, you look at the very last two verses. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. Talking about the land where God's people dwelt. An appalling, horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? Just because we want something to be a certain way does not make it true, nor does it make it right. Good and evil are not defined nor measured by man's wisdom or by man's feelings or, for that matter, redefining evil. Trying to explain away word definition does not make sin acceptable. It's like Isaiah said in chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for dark, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so we learn the lesson from the days of Jeremiah in the words of the lamentation here. That if we're not careful, prophets who speak falsely and foolishly will lead us astray. 
Finding eloquent debaters to justify what is false, to justify what is sinful, does not change that it is wrong and damning. It was true in the days of Jeremiah. It, is tr- it was true in the, in the days of the first, first century. And it is true, still true today in the 21st century. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, you have Paul's warning to the evangelist when he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ear tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and turn away their ears from the truth. Falsehood, false teachers lead people astray, deeper into sin, and farther away from God. But finally, the last point I want to bring out from this second chapter, this second lament that Jeremiah writes, is the fact that God kept his word. God kept his word on the day of his righteous anger. Verse 17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has accomplished his word which he commanded from days of old. God had promised throughout the history of Israel that disobedience and rebellion has consequences, and that he would would punish those that would refuse to listen and heed his word. Go back even to the days of Moses in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter, chapter 26, verse 14, he says, If you do not obey me, you do not carry out all these commandments, if you reject my statutes, if you, your soul abhors my ordinances, so you do not carry out all my commandments, verse 16, I in turn will do this to you. I'll appoint for you a sudden terror, consumption, and fever that you will waste away and cause the soul to pine away. You will sow your seed uselessly and your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. Verse 19, I will also break down your pride of power. I will make your sky like iron, your earth like bronze. Verse 25, I will bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant. When you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you so that you shall be delivered into enemy hands. Verse 31, I will destroy your high places and cut down your altars. Verse 31, I will lay waste your cities. I will make your sanctuaries desolate. Verse 32, I will make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it. And you, however, I will scatter, scatter among the nations, and will draw out a sword after you, as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. God kept his word on the day of his righteous anger. He was faithful. And we are assured that God will deal faithfully with us as well, with our sins and the sins of mankind. In Romans, Romans 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Or in Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, where after listing you know, that, you know, the sins such as immorality, impurity, evil desire, and greed, 
He says, for it is because of these things, it is because of sin, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. God always keeps his word. And on the day of his righteous anger, it will be a manifestation and demonstration of his faithfulness to what he has said. Eternity in hell awaits all who do not obey God. God is faithful. He is faithful in his love. But he is also faithful in his anger. There is no deceit. There is no guile in God, in Christ. So do not be deceived by the falsehood and the lies and the deceptions that are all around us in the world. God will judge. He will judge us in righteousness through the man he's appointed, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's given us evidence of that truth by raising him from the dead. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you confessed faith in Jesus Christ with your mouth that he is the Son of God and repented of your sins and be baptized into him? If not, we want to encourage you to do that. It is through an obedient faith we come into a saved relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And without the power of Christ's blood, without dying with him and being reared with him in the, in the burial of baptism, we are still in our sins. If we can assist you any way to make your life right with God, to put on Christ in obedience to the gospel... Or as a Christian who has done that but has strayed from the path of righteousness, God is faithful. He is faithful in His love, but also He's faithful in His anger. And He will pour out His wrath upon the sons of disobedience. If we can help you any way spiritually to make your life right with God through Jesus Christ, we encourage you to contact us and let us know how we can assist you and being reconciled, and being justified and sanctified through Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for studying with us today. I bid you a good day.